morning, everyone. Welcome to Branding Bud Live, the live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week we bring business people to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palaszczuk, the founder of the Branding Bud Consulting Group, author of the first book on cannabis branding, Branding Bud, the commercialization of cannabis. And I am here with my BCF, Adriana Hemans, my best cannabis friend, the director of marketing at Green Meadows. Hey, Adriana, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. It's a beautiful day to do a live stream, don't you think? It is. And you have some lovely flowers behind you to mark the occasion. I do. They smell wonderful, too. And I want to say hi to Rodney and hi to Robin. Good to see a couple familiar faces um, in the chat. You know what's crazy about Branding Bud Live is like you really never know who is going to show up. And it always seems to happen at like exactly the right moment when we were talking about AI and Eric Mercado just happened to show up. We were talking about beverages and um, and Ben Kennedy showed up. So it really is cool. So we'd like to see um, who's with us today, who's paying attention, who's listening, who's curious. So please feel free to just say hi. Uh, let us know where you're from um, and drop any other random tidbit in there you feel like because we want to get to know you. It's true. It was last week was uh, very serendipitous in that mm -hmm. way. You know, we spoke about AI. Um, Eric from Turpley came, and as we were speaking about uh, beverages, Ben Kennedy from Fable jumped on. So, um, so it's pretty cool that we've got some wonderful people. And there's Christian Gray. Hey, hey Christian. Christian. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited. I mean, every week I'm excited about the show, but today I'm really excited for three reasons. Um, one, I'm grateful as always to our sponsor, High Hopes. And High Hopes is a creative agency that specializes in the cannabis industry. They've been around for 10 years in the industry and they actually understand everything we go through as brand owners and as consultants, as people in the industry. So 10 years is a long time in cannabis, for sure. 10 years, that's right. That's like 50 years in real life, dog years, or maybe 70. 70 now. years. Yeah, um, but they do all sorts of things like branding, packaging, web design, SEO, marketing. And if you're interested in checking out their site, and I think you should, and they've actually worked for some really well-known brands. So uh, brands that you all know, like Curious, Curio Wellness and a whole bunch of others. But check, check them out. out at firehopes.com. Check them out. And they do cool work. They do. Also, we've got some uh, our courses that we've just set up, and we've been getting some really great feedback on that. Um, so we have two courses, How to Create a Meaningful Cannabis Brand and the 14 Cannabis Brand Archetypes, and those are pretty cool. Uh, we've gotten some great feedback, so we'll put a link up shortly, but check it out, and um, and you might be interested in that. Yeah, definitely also for, sorry to cut you off, David, definitely for people who are facing challenges in marketing and branding, um, you know, maybe you just need a little spark of inspiration. Maybe you need to redo your whole brand. In in either case, there's a lot of content there that's like immediately applicable. So if that sounds like you, definitely check it out. That's right. And specifically understanding who your customer is. And we'll, we're going to get into that a little bit later with James as well, our guest today. Um, I just want to call out um, Aaron Sells. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kim from Bermuda. What's up? Yeah. Okay. Third thing I'm super excited about is our guest today, and that's James Kennedy. James is the founder of Apothecana, which is probably one of the better known uh, cannabis uh, THC and CBD brands. He's now also the CEO of Flying Colors, which is a consulting agency. Mm -hmm. And I have never had 
an uninteresting conversation with James. He is so on top of it, at the cutting edge of everything, uh, super smart, super bright, worked for Aveda in the real world and some other companies that uh, he'll probably call out later. So his experience in product development, products, trends, and things going on is, um, is you know, pretty, pretty high and pretty amazing. I'm always impressed with him. So that said, some of the questions we'll be addressing today are, how has the landscape of cannabis product development evolved over the past decade? What are the challenges in formulating cannabis products to diverse um, consumers? And what are the emerging trends in cannabis product development? What are we What are we seeing now? What's happening now? So, um, so that said, I'm super excited about all those things. Those things, and I'm also excited that we've got a group of people here today with us in the audience listening. Um, thank you for joining us, as always. Yeah. Right on. Well, that said, let's bring out James Kennedy. Let's do it. Get this party started. Woohoo! Hey, hey James. James. Hey, Adriana. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for um, having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What should people know about you? All right. Well, um, my background was in industrial design and, uh, you know, so kind of like a designer by training and systems design and, and product design and, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, as David mentioned, I, I got my start working at the brand Aveda. And I was doing, you know, like some packaging and, and I, I went there because I was very interested in environmentally friendly packaging. And this was kind of in the early, early 2000s. And um, so it was really great experience working there. And then, um, you know, shortly after I, I was working there, I had the opportunity to work with the founder of Aveda and he was launching a new brand. He had sold Aveda to Estee Lauder and had a few years of like a, a non-compete. And then he was launching a new brand. And I went on um, to be creative director of that brand called Intelligent Nutrients. And I kind of thought I'd be doing, you know, similar kind of stuff, you know, the brand identity and packaging and, you know, messaging and all that. But um, he had this really cool lab and uh, this was in, um, in, in Minnesota. And went out there and started seeing how he was developing products on his own. And, you know, my, my kind of, you know, thought was that there was, you know, these, these chemists and scientists and, you know, this really specific way of formulating product that, you know, I think does exist out there to some, some extent, but he'd have these different vendors come in and they'd have briefcases of different essential oils and, We'd sit there and smell through all of them. And he'd start talking about things like, you know, that I wasn't really accustomed to, like, like plant harmonics. And it was interesting to see even how, you know, when we would blend products, you know, you had this um, fragrance organ that it was on and we were creating chords and harmonies. And, um, and that really like kind of blew me away because it was just this, this, this aha moment that I was like, oh, it's, it's not all about these chemicals and binding these things together it's really about letting the beauty of the plant ingredients shine through and you know i started doing a little bit of formulation on my own just you know like making some products for for family and and, and friends and you know kind of kept up my professional endeavors i i spent a little bit of time um uh working for johnson and johnson doing you know everything from 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 packaging and um you know, retail launches and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this was around 2008 or nine. And I, I had a buddy of mine um, 
who was starting one of the very first dispensaries in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, he went on to have a you know somewhat famous brand called 710 Labs. But back then- um, Oh yeah, we know very, 710. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most folks do. Um, but back then it was working on this project called uh, The Greenest Green. And this was one of the very first uh, medical dispensaries in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, I, I had, you know, some of internalized some of this information about, you know, like the plants and the, you know, the, just the different things that they could do much more deep, I think, than most people think of when they think of, you know, aromatherapy. Um, but, you know, I started seeing people that were coming into the shop that, you know, I mean, there's definitely the college kids, you know, they got their cards so they could get their friends some weed. But there were all these other people with these, you know, different conditions that, um, you know, we're coming in to like, you know, to get cannabis to really try to treat something that they were struggling with in, in their life. And fast forward a little bit, I had another dispensary in, in Denver for a while. And, um, you know, one kind of chance encounter with the, this, this uh, husband and wife duo that were formulating some skincare products um, and was asking me about cannabis, just, you know, it's like, let's, let's try some of these things out. And lo and behold, we started, you know, mixing up some of these products and um, they just, they worked. I mean, even from the first batch this guy ever made, he's like, I had some kind of issue with his elbow. And he's like, I didn't, I just didn't feel that issue with my elbow anymore. So, you know, felt, felt it was on to something. And, um, you know, it was, it was in those early days, uh, you know, it was kind of like, like people had the impression of cannabis, um, you know, it was about still for the most part about getting high. And, you know, we went around with some of these early products that we had, and that was a big, you know, kind of feedback that we got was like, if it doesn't get you high, what's, what's the point, you know, and I knew some of them weren't the right customers, but, you know, wasn't, wasn't too deterred by all of that. And, um, you know, like early days, the business kind of started and then, and then failed, and, or at least I thought it failed, you know, run out of money and all, all those kind of things. But, um, you know, it, it medical market opened up in Colorado and more people started, you know, catching on and, um, you know, eventually made it into, you know, I guess really like what, you know, became my identity and what I was really passionate about. Um, and, you know, it, it, you know, you asked about some, some of the passions, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, just this notion of plant medicine and our relationship with plants and, you know, how that kind of changed over maybe the past 150 years from people before really relying on plant medicine. Um, you know, all these things really struck, uh, struck a chord with me. And, you know, happy to expand on on some of the journey with Apothecana a little bit more. But, you know, it was it was definitely those early days, you know, with this brand new ingredient that was kind of like, like, oh, you know, what the sky's the limits of the things that we can do with this and being able to take some of my background and I guess my philosophy about plants um, into this, you know, whole new category was just so wildly exciting. And, you know, and in and, and some of the early products I was, was uh, you know, trying to source all local ingredients from Colorado, like, um, you know, peppermint and arnica and juniper. And those really became, you know, the foundation of some of these early products, um, you know, we're just taking some other plants. Uh, I used to use one of these ones with Arnica was in my bedside table for years, put it on my feet. Um, when I got married because I was worried about walking uh, around in high heels all day. So use this to eliminate, um, foot pain from wearing heels and it worked. Yeah. And we also 
could just show this too, just because sometimes, you know, sometimes brand recognition isn't uh, fully there when you mention a brand's name, but when you see the product, you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. So I, I thought it was important just for us to bring some of the photographs up again, just to, to talk about, you know, um, the brand, to talk about the packaging, just to, uh, just to show everybody, as they say, a picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the packaging, um, I mean, that was the other thing I think I kind of noticed in, in cannabis is, you know, back then, I mean, I guess like like early 2010s, you know, a lot of the packaging was like, you know, these kind of sexy cannabis nurses on a salve or something that would be <laughs> like, you know, this this category. And, you know, from some of my experience, having worked at Johnson and Johnson and some of these other, you know, large, large beauty retailers, you know, I, I felt that this is such a new category. It needs to be able to resonate with people, you know, in a way that they can kind of understand, you know, you can't put all of these new things out at once. You know, sometimes it requires, you know, I, I think just repetition of, you know, messages that they're accustomed to, to really, you know, kind of get these messages across. So, you know, even though maybe my aesthetic is a little bit more playful and bold, um, you know, we definitely kept a lot of the, the color waves around, you know, that was a big part of, product development in the early days, you know, for, for, for me and for the brand was, you know, trying to make it feel like it's something that you would recognize at a, a you know, if you're walking into your local CVS, you know, or, uh, you know, any pharmacy or anything like that. Um, so, so giving people just the um, breaking down some of those, you know, fear barriers, I think that, you know, that, that folks had um, around just this entire, you know, category of products which I think topicals as a category does that in and of itself, which is cool. Like for a lot of people who may not be getting high or wanting to get high. Uh, I know Zachary has a, a differing opinion on that, that it's still about getting high. But for some of these older folks with like muscle pain, they're like, oh, let me try it. And then they realize how effective it is. And then they, you know, become a medical card holder or something like that. So topicals is like very approachable compared to other categories, I think. I, I was at a dinner party once um, um, and it was, and there was this woman who was, it was kind of a cannabis themed, uh, uh, I forget what the name of those events were, but it was beautiful, like outside, you know, in like uh, in, in Boulder and um, uh, you know, like a farm setting. And she's like, I, I respect what everyone's doing, but I just don't see myself ever trying cannabis. And I was like, I assure you before the evening's over, you will have had tried cannabis. <laughs> and she. And then a little bit later on, she, you know, was willing to try some of the products and, you know, and I think, I think got a, you know, early convert that evening. You know, James, tell us about, I mean, you just mentioned some of the packaging and tell us like over the last 10 years, you know, has cannabis product development changed? Um, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, I guess it's changed quite a bit. I mean, there's still, and I, I really appreciate, you know, like a brand, like, let's say, um, Rose Delights, which still does a ton of stuff in-house, you know, they kind of like make all their formulations and work with these chefs and bring all this, you know, um, but not everyone, that's not really the, the way that most CPG business works. You know, you generally work with a lot of partners. Now, you know, it was about exactly a decade ago that the Cole memo came out and, and that was, you know, this kind of federal guidance that they weren't going to go after people that were working in, in cannabis. So that was like what started to open up the floodgates, I guess, and, you know, kind of um, professional, uh, you know, more people were able to start at least exploring some of these ideas 
um, than they had before. You know, it was still a few years before you could get insurance or product liability insurance or, you know, things like that. Um, but I think in the early days, you know, you kind of had to do everything yourself. And, and that was something that I, I think a lot of folks would, you know, had said to us is like, you know, if you weren't fully vertically integrated, you know, you'd never be able to make it, you know, you really had to do everything yourself. But having worked in some other industries and seeing how important, you know, partnerships were and really being able to get things out to scale, you know, I, I kind of, you know, held the belief that, um, you know, that eventually over time that would kind of come around. So, you know, that was the first, you know, I, I think big opening to be able to, to to work with other partners. But still at that point, I mean, we um, we did a lot of uh, sampling through those like, you know, kind of small little sachets, you know, that you might find in a magazine or something. And I spent almost a year trying to find someone that would fill product for us. And we never did. So we had to, you know, buy a piece of equipment from China and figure out how to make it work. And, you know, basically do it, do it all, all ourselves. Um, and, you know, I, I think also in the early days, there was this little bit of an idea that, you know, cannabis was kind of like this panacea that it was going to, you know, it was a cure-all. It was a little bit maybe snake oil-like in its, you know, in its approach, like, you know, smoke this and everything, you know, will will feel better. And I, I think that's another big change that's happened over time is just this diversification of all of these different applications that folks have. And I mean, it's almost like too much to try to expand into, you know, not only is it um, the different cannabinoids or the difference between hemp and, you know, what we would classify as, you know, like uh, medical or recreational marijuana or cannabis, um, you know, all these different form factors started appearing. And, you know, back then there was really, you know, you kind of had your topicals, tinctures, and then smokables, you know, those were, you know, pretty much the categories that were out there. I mean, even before really a lot of edibles started, you know, to, to make it um, out. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, in, in California over the years, there is, you know, all these different extinction events that folks would refer to where some new regulatory uh, guideline came out that made a lot of the ways that folks were doing things just untenable to move forward with. Um, you know, and that also happened, I, I think, in the hemp marketplace. Um, you know, CBD came out like with this sky's the limit type of, um, you know, mentality. And, you know, there's there's quite a few factors of why that didn't hold out to be true, but you know, we kind of I think recently saw a little bit of of a collapse of that as well. Though I I don't want to you know say that that it's you know it's it's over it's it's gone it's just it's going to evolve in in, in all of these different ways. And um, I had a friend of mine that I was meeting with a few months back who was um, he was in the uh, the grain business and he was talking about the next wave of, of grains and was going through like how coffee kind of operated. Like, you know, early on there was Folgers, you know, and that kind of laid the groundwork for Starbucks. And then that laid the groundwork for Stumptown. And then that laid the groundwork for fourth wave coffee, which is, you know, basically what you might get from your, you know, David, you know much more about coffee than I do being in Seattle, but you know, what you might, <laughs> might get from your like local, local roaster. And, and that's kind of happened with cannabis as well. It's, you know, there's kind of these boom and bust cycles um, where the categories have expanded out, then contracted down. And, you know, a lot of players, you know, go out there and, and get their expectations up and only so many, you know, kind of make it through. Um, 
so, you know, I very much feel like, you know, we're kind of on this, I, I don't even know what wave to call it, but definitely like from that post COVID boom to a little, or a, during COVID boom to a little bit of a post COVID bust that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of filtering out the market, which is really great for innovation. Um, and there's going to be a whole new generation of products that are, you know, going to kind of rise up from the ashes of, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> what, what a lot of people built, you know, and, and, and lost. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think it's, uh, you know, each, each one of these cycles um, broadens the opportunities. Yeah. And I think, too, in our comments here, Zachary is alluding to that cycle, too, is, you know, some brands that are maybe ones aimed at up, up market consumers, as he points out, fall flat, which is all part of that contraction process where, you know, the size of the market doesn't support all the brands that are in it right now. And some of them are going to get the chopping block, unfortunately, to say uh, there's such a like diversity, though, of product types, as you pointed out, James, all these different form factors and ways to slice these consumer segments because it's so diverse that I think that with every cycle, we'll just see exponential opportunities for product development. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, I, I have heard quite a bit of, you know, like, oh, we're developing this line of products that'll be for, you know, like these sophisticated Wall Street, you know, smokers or, you know, this line of products will, you know, be for, for soccer moms or, you know, like any other, like kind of these imagined demographics that should, you know, exist over time, but, you know, they're not really quite there ready, you know, yet. And, you know, still as I work with different clients and I think in, in more established states, you know, they're kind of hip to the realization that, you know, really 80% of their products, you know, this is more on the recreational cannabis side of things, 80% of their products really go to like kind of heavy, heavy smokers, mm -hmm. you know, it's not all these new emerging categories. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the people that already understand this and it can be kind of a waste of resources to try to build into, you know, some of these now, now I say that, and, and I think one of the most underserved under, you know, represented uh, 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 demographics is seniors because with, with my business with Apothecana, um, we did over half of our sales went to folks that were over the age of 55 and they were awesome customers. Mm -hmm. They were really, really great customers. Um, they referred our products to friends. They generally had the money to not, you know, go out and try to find someone that was cheaper. Um, they're loyal to the they, brand. We have a, a big segment of, of seniors that are, um, customers of green meadows and, I'm hearing everything you're saying, totally agreeing that that's a really important segment. Really you know, awesome oops. segment. Oh, go ahead. Do you, do you want to I'm jump sorry. into a little quiz, though, since our audience seems pretty warmed up now? Sure. Just to call out one thing quickly, um, one of the things that I really enjoyed, James, was um, uh, I believe there was an advertisement for Apothecana, which was basically uh, showing tennis players you know, again, appealing to this older age category. So it's it's interesting to see that. It's very unusual in the cannabis space. But in light of time, let's jump to our cannabis quiz, shall we? Take it away, Adrian. All right. So uh, audience, if you think you know the answer, please feel free to jump in and take a guess at what the answer to this question is. The question is, the average product developer begins designing when what percentage of the product requirements are known? Is it A, 15%, B, 
B, 35%, C, 50%, or D, 65%. And this is not cannabis specific. This is just product development all over the map. And this comes from the principles of product development flow, which, which is like a pretty well-known book in the industry mm -hmm. um, for, for those that are into product development and industrial design, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there's Jason McHugh from Califari, one of my favorite brands. Hey, Jason. Califari. Jason's guessing C, 50%. Interesting. See if anyone else will hazard a guess. Audience, it's your chance to shine. That's my favorite thing I say every week. Um, James, what are your thoughts? Uh, Oh, I don't. I don't think I know this one off offhand. I'm. I'm. I'm going to go with uh, with with the same answer though. I think. I think it's probably about half. Mm -hmm. So C. Cool. And we should point out too. You know, Adriana and I always talk about who's who's your customer, knowing your customer. So, um, so this question, I mean, almost uh, you know insinuates that you know that that people should understand who they're developing a product for. And even though it might be a number of people uh, or a number of consumer segments, the one thing I hear in the cannabis space all the time is it's for everybody. And so, um, so it's kind of funny, you know, cannabis products are not for everybody, at least start, starting off 21 and above, right? Right. And uh, so, Christian's got to run. Thanks for coming by, Christian. Christian also guessed C, 50%. Uh, we you. also have a guest for B from David Rain. And I see Zachary guest A. We also have an A guest from Rodney. Um, should we reveal the answer? Yes, we should. Waiting in suspense. <laughs> uh, the answer is C, 50%. So good job, Christian. Jason, uh, I see someone else voted for C. I can't see your name yet. Sorry, for some reason, some names don't populate in Restream from LinkedIn. But good job, everybody who guessed C. It's 50%. It is indeed. Well, so let's jump to a couple of more questions because um, time is running fast today. Yeah. Um, you know, so speaking about that, James, like, you know, how, how should one approach uh, you know, developing a cannabis product if they have a specific uh, consumer segment in mind? Um, you know, I, I think, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of luck involved in, in all reality. I, I think, I think a big, you know, a big part of all of this um, is, you know, you need, you need to know that people want what you're, what you're making. You know that's that's tremendously important, and the you know more luck element of that is 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 timing. You know, a great idea, you know, kind of the wrong time might just not hit. Um, so, you know, I think if you have if you have a target in in mind, it's it's really good idea to try to get to know that that target. I mean, you know, kind of a, a popular activity or a you know activity that a lot of product developers will do will create like a a, a persona. So, you know, for example, we um, we created this uh, this this brand character. I think her name was was Jessica, and we found that this twenty seven year old female de demographic, even though um, our demographic was much broader, was the most influential. They you know shared with their friends, they shared with um, you know their significant others, they shared with their family. So we really tried to get to know this customer. 
where did they shop? What music did they listen to? You know, just what are they into? What are they, what are they looking for? What are their common, you know, pain points? And having that character, I think is, can be really helpful because, you know, you're not just looking at stats and numbers, but, you know, you're, you're starting to, um, you know, put on human characteristics, you know, to, to this and it, and it just makes it a little bit more, I think, believable. Um, and I, you know, my perspective has largely been is just, you know, kind of just going through iterations and and seeing what, you know, what, what hits and experimentation and not trying to just be dead on, you know, right away. Um, uh, we had developed this product. It was called the Daily Hit. I don't know if y'all ever, ever saw that one, but we did it in conjunction with a, a beauty retailer called Cat Beauty. And part of the development process for that was to go into the retailer to talk to all the sales associates and to ask them what people were buying. Like, what is, you know, this, what, what are people into? And we came back with all these other ingredients that we hadn't really, you know, thought of, or some I wasn't even really super familiar with. And prop, you know, kind of ordered some of those ingredients, start putting them into the product and, you know, making some adjustments until we found that, okay, we're really reflecting what that, you know, average consumer for is kind of shopping for in, in, in the store. And, you know, the big part about that product for me was we wanted it to taste great because I thought so many tinctures and cannabinoid products in, in general really just don't taste good. So that was a lot of just sitting there with a spoon and trying these different things and thinking about how that would work on a, in a salad dressing or in a smoothie or, you know, in, in, in different things like that. So I think, you know, it's, it's having a general it's difficult, like you said, to try to, you know, develop a product for the planet Earth that's just way too broad. It's very helpful to get specific and have some characteristics that you really understand that that person, you know, might resonate with. Um, and then I think there's there's a lot of trial that that really makes great products. And it, it blows my mind some sometimes. I don't want to call it anyone in particular, but, you know, some of the bigger, like, cannabis companies that invest a lot into beverage, like the beverages just didn't taste very good. And, you know, I, I just couldn't understand how they could bring products to market that, you know, didn't taste great, especially in, in, in that category. Especially in such a crowded category too. And we have not only cannabis beverages, but all these other beverages that are expected to taste good. And people have that, those high standards for everything now. So that is kind of wild. Um, question for you, James, looking at product development for adult use consumers and then also medical consumers like what do you need to keep in mind when you're making products that should or you want them to fit in both categories um well I, you know i think there's some kind of broad broad categories you know or, or consideration to look at you know medical efficacy is this really backed by science you know you got a lot more flexibility on the recreational side of things to have fun you know but if you're dealing with you know, not just your end um, customer being someone that, you know, might have a condition that they're trying to treat, but also dealing with healthcare practitioners and folks, you know, involved in that whole cycle, you, you do need to be a lot more specific of what you're trying to achieve. And I think you also need to be very clear in what the active ingredients going on, it should resemble medicine, a little bit more than like, you know, fruit flavored, delicious, you know, like cannabis confections. Um, so, you know, I, I guess go, going along with the medical efficacy is, you know, dosage and potency. How should this be taken? How frequently? Um, again, in the recreational market, 
you know, maybe you want three milligrams to, you know, help you get to sleep. Maybe you want a little bit more to have fun at a concert, um, you know, on the medical side of things that needs to be um, a little bit more uh, 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 thought through. Um, and the quality and safety standards, you know, again, on the recreational side, these are really important factors. Um, but when you're dealing with medical patients, it, it, is, it can be, I don't want to say, well, maybe limiting, you know, there's not as many other things that you want to put in there. You want it to be a little bit more um, straightforward. And I think that also extends out to just, you know, really the education and, and the support of these products and how they're going to get there out in the market. Um, you know, it needs to be a little bit more specific to, um, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, what you're what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's one of, you know, the incredible things about cannabis in general is you can um, try to have an impact on all these different mood states or, you know, feelings that people want to feel. And, you know, it can be really kind of a fun, choose your own adventure. Um, but on the medical side of things, I think it does need to resemble, you know, some more traditional delivery methods and ways that people have taken medicine in the past. Um, so as not to, you know, create any unnecessary confusion. Absolutely. You know, one of the things Adriana and I often talk about is, you know, um, the the uh, metric or, or the component, which we call additive versus subtractive. So additive is enhancing what you're doing, which is more adult use. It's more I'm taking a hike or I'm about to paint a painting or I'm about to do something that I want to enhance. Or it's date night or you're going to the movies. That's you got the idea. <laughs> It's what I was thinking, thanks. But subtractive is exactly the opposite. Subtractive is I have pain. Um, it's your mindset when you're thinking about taking an Advil. You know, you want to alleviate that pain. You want it to happen quickly. Um, those are two different need states and mindsets that, um, you know, that people are in when they're consuming, often when they're consuming cannabis. The other thing, just to go back uh, briefly, you know, you said luck before. I mean, timing has everything to do with it, too. If you look at cannabis beverages just five years ago, um, you know, the technology wasn't the same as it is today, you know, where we have nanosonification, we've got, um, you know, smaller particles, which allow for faster uptake, whereas just five years ago, you would have super sweet beverages, which were designed to cover the taste of the cannabis. And when you opened up the beverage, there was an oil slick on top because it was separating. So, you know, it's just really interesting to see the technologies that have changed. And, and just also one other thing adding to luck in timing, you know, I think consumers are really looking for um, the latest, greatest thing. You know, they're looking for, you know, people have gone from CBD and it had its, its trajectory and then sort of now it's, you know, fallen from grace, if you will. We, we did the same thing with NFTs. We are doing the same thing with AI. Um, I could list all the, you know, all the trends, all the technologies, all of those things. So it's really interesting to sort of see it's not only a great product. It's not only luck. It has everything to do with timing and technology and all these things sort of coming together um, to offer something to the right people at the right time. You know, so... Now going back, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. Going back to um, to something that you had said a moment ago, which was educating. Could you talk to us a little bit more about educating um, and just being transparent with regard to 
what the products are, what they're made from, how they should be used, when they should be used, because I think that's a missing component in the cannabis space is really the education mm-hmm. about and the transparency about products. And sorry, so hi to Jordan, Yo-Yo, and hi to Eddie from Detroit. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, so you know, with with education, and I mean, I I personally, I I I lean on the side of like the edutainment. You know, I, I want I want messaging that sticks and resonates with people. You know, like and um, I, I think kind of um, gets them in the right frame of mind to really want to dive deeper. So it's not like this uh, putting all of this information on the forefront and putting the onus on the customer to dive into it and try to disseminate it all you know i think that's one of the the powers of brand is you can bring people in with these messaging this messaging that really resonates on a human level you know that that's relatable that you know makes them uh you know maybe even brings up some nostalgia or you know other experiences that they've had in life and then take them you know like on a more of a storytelling um, uh, pathway where that information becomes evident and clear and it's stickier that way um, when it's not just all thrown out there at the beginning. And, you know, and that's not just through written word or, you know, through, you know, trying to, to, to read something off. That can also happen through, I think, creative brand storytelling and, you know, whether that be graphics or, you know, um, motion graphics or, you know, I, I really love when I see brands create these universes. And, you know, it's very popular, I think, with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the cereal brand Off Limits, you know, but that's kind of like that good for you cereal that you'll start seeing, you know, in the grocery aisle, like some $9 Cheerios. But anyway, they have on all of their different products, they create these characters and these characters, you know, have these whole universes that they live in. And throughout the box, you kind of go on these journeys with these characters. So it's not hitting me over the head with like, this is better for you because it has these things or it doesn't have these things. It's inviting you in with a much more provocative kind of catch, like come enter this universe. And as you enter that universe, you're kind of being educated along the way. So I think if you can make it fun, it's going to be more effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, everyone's looking for, for a backstory. And, and one, of, one of our comments here is edutainment has been the new buzzword. It's true. It's, um, hopefully it will replace disruptive, which is one of the words that has, has driven me crazy. But... <laughs> We're disrupting live streaming right now, David. Apologies. Apologies. Well, you know, we have, we have gone through only just a few of our questions but i see that we've almost come to the to the end of our time that we share our 45 minutes every week um james are you know is there um anything you'd like to leave the audience with is there a book is there a movie is there an experience that um you know that you want to share with people oh i I really did enjoy seeing oppenheimer in the theater but i hadn't been in a movie theater for a while and i was like man that was so loud all the explosions that um, but anyway, that's probably just showing my age a little bit. Um, you know, I was thinking about the books and I, I had a few um, because I'm really a huge fan of plant intelligence. That's like my favorite subject. And I, I first got into that. Um, there's a book called The Hidden Life of Trees, which was like this uh, German forestry workers experience and, and you know, starting to understand that these trees weren't just sitting there in isolation like 
you know, like, uh, uh, I guess that's like, and from a biological standpoint, they're just, you know, all these individual things, they're really an ecological system. And that's a great book. But the one that again, in the theme of great storytelling, um, there's a book called The Overstory by Richard Powers. That's one of my very, very favorite books. And that talks about the sentience of trees and the communications networks and, you know, really kind of, um, I think, puts into perspective, you know, just as human beings, we kind of see ourselves as the central forces of everything. But the way that that book is written and showing these much longer timelines, I, I think it shows, you know, um, how we're more part of a bigger thing. And on, on that same topic, um, one of my favorite books is Braiding Sweetgrass, which is a little bit more of a, a you know, indigenous perspective on um, ecology and plants and, you know, kind of the same same theme of, you know, maybe getting off our uh, uh, high horse of being, you know, so central to everything that happens around us. You know, we are participants in this greater thing that's, you know, happening around us. Um, you know, not, not a, we don't always need to be the main characters. And I think life can be a little bit more entertaining if you, uh, you know, take on that maybe a little less stressful if you take on that perspective as well. So yeah, the overstory and, and uh, braiding sweetgrass are a couple of my very favorite rec uh, books on uh, uh, plant intelligence. Awesome. I jotted those down. I'm going to check them out for sure. Me too. Me too. Cool. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, God, there were so many more questions I would have loved to have. I got all to. these notes I never got to use. Yeah. Oh man. We're going to come. You'll, you're, yeah. You'll have to come back and we'll do another one. All right. All Absolutely. right. Thank you so much, James, um, not only for what you've done in the industry, for what you continue to do and, and really your perspective. I mean, it's, it's really refreshing. And like I said earlier, there hasn't been a conversation that we've had that I haven't thoroughly enjoyed. So thank you so much for all you do. And uh, we'll see you soon. Keep doing it. And anytime, David. And thanks, Adriana, for having me. Thanks, James. All right. Well, as I always say, that was that was my fastest 45 minutes of the week. And that went really fast. It really did. Um, it did. Do they keep getting well, faster? Is time moving faster? What's happening? I think as we get older, yes, time time uh, in relative to our lifespan, it, it, things get faster. Thanks for reminding um, me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so from one Kennedy to another, we've got um, a great show next week. Um, and um, we have Ben Kennedy. Ben Kennedy is the um, CEO and founder of Fable Libations. Um, we're going to talk about um, cannabis and craft beverages. And I'm super excited to speak to, uh, to Ben yeah. about that. That happens to be uh, my favorite cannabis beverage. So I'm really pumped about that one, too. Yeah, we're super excited. And by the way, there's no relationship between, or not that I know of, between James Kennedy and Ben Kennedy. Also, um, just calling it up again now, we've um, got our courses up online, so please check those out. Creating a Meaningful Cannabis Brand and the 14 Cannabis Brand Archetypes. For our listeners here, we've got a 25% discount. Don't forget to use BBEDU25 if you check it out. That would be awesome. And, um, and then really lastly, I just want to thank again our... Um, our sponsors, High Hopes, uh, a great agency. As I said earlier, they've been around for 10 years. They know what we go through on a daily basis. They know our issues, and I super highly recommend them. Branding, packaging, marketing, SEO, 
all of that good stuff, which I know is super tough in the industry for a lot of folks. So please check them out at I'veGotHigherHopes.com. Outside of that, please be sure to check out BrandingBud.com, uh, Cannabis's Best Kept Secret. And with that, we'll say goodbye, and we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thanks again for everybody showing up, listening to our show, participating in our show. We really love you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Thank everyone. you, Adrian. Thanks for joining us. Bye. And the feedback has been great on the course. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.